Have you any right to be angry? That's the question of the day. Have you any right to be angry? When God asks you that question, have you any right to be angry? What would your response be? We're going to look at the response that Jonah gave today when God asked him, have you any right to be angry? What does Jonah say? And then think about your response. Is it similar to Jonah's? Is it different? Are you going to have a better response because we've read the word today or because I've asked the question out loud and we know we're, you know, we're supposed to be watching what we say and watch what we do and watch the words that we use? Remember, James says that the tongue is a restless evil and how, you know, how uh, vicious it can be when it inflicts its uh, wrath or its anger on others. So watch what you say. There's a reason we have one mouth but two eyes. There's a reason we have one mouth but two ears. There's a reason that God reminds us about this issue of anger. As I read the scriptures, it says, be angry and sin not. And it also tells us, the scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or don't let the sun go down. On your anger. And so this whole issue, besides righteous indignation, do we have any right to be angry? There are certain inequities, there are certain uh, crimes that have been committed, there are certain heinous acts that have been performed, and, and you can look at any particular day in the news and you can hear something that just drives you mad. Why is that happening? Why did this have to happen? Why are they getting away with this? Or why did they do that? And we can look at that, and maybe some of that is righteous anger, but then what are we supposed to do with that? Think about your response to the issue when God talks to you about anger. He asked this question, and no doubt it was an important one. Um, I want to uh, kind of backtrack just a little bit and just look at this whole issue again. Where was Jonah? Remember in the beginning of Jonah, he was there, he was given the commission of God, he was to go and to preach to the people of uh, Nineveh and so forth, and uh, you know how he ran the other way, and you know how God, in God's provision, uh, Jonah somehow was saved. He was spit up onto dry land, and the word of the Lord, you know, came to Jonah a second time. He got a second chance. You know, God, our God, even though he has all the right in the world to be angry at us and just to squish us like we would a bug that comes in our presence, just, you know, squash them out. They don't matter. They're not important. God could do that to us, but he does not because of his great love toward us. And he kind of recommissions Jonah, comes to him a second time, gives him another opportunity to go ahead and carry out the mission. And then we saw last time from what Brother Jeremy shared that he did go to the great city of Nineveh and he did proclaim the message that God gave to him. And we saw that there in the fourth verse. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned. But we also saw how they responded. They didn't respond the way that uh, Jonah had expected. Immediately it says in verse 5, uh, chapter 3, that the Ninevites believed God and they declared a fast and all of them and from the greatest to the least, they all put on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning, a sign of repentance. They all put on sackcloth. They heard the word, they believed in God and they repented. Folks, that's the message that we should carry to one another and to others. And, you know, have you ever prayed for somebody? Oh, my God, they'll never get saved. And then they're saved. What a great salvation it is when that person that you thought was unreachable, untouchable, or you were so uh, hateful toward, but God had compassion upon them and spared them and saved them. What would have happened if SEAL Team 6 would have gotten in front of that uh, heinous criminal when they're locked inside his cabinet and instead of uh, shooting him, one right between the eyes, they would have said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. 
What would have happened? Or God loves you and forgives you of all your sins. Or God loves you and He wants you to repent. What would happen if He actually did repent? If He rent His garments? And if He, you know, just wallowed in dust, rolled in the dust, put on sackcloth as a sign of mourning, or put on ashes, and so forth. Here we see the Ninevites believe God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least of them, put on sackcloth. And then when the news, verse 6 says, that it reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he proclaimed, or, or issued a proclamation in, in, in Nineveh, and, and so forth. And so we know that the whole nation, everyone in that nation, even the animals, were to repent and to wear sackcloth and so forth. And everyone was urgently to call upon God. Let them give up their evil and call upon God. Who knows? Verse 9 says, God may yet relent and have compassion and turn from His fierce anger so that people might not perish. In verse 10, when God saw what they had did and that they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and He did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. Now, I'm not going to go completely and share everything that Brother Jeremy shared last week, but just by way of reminder, that's what happens. This is what God did. When Jonah got that second opportunity and did go, to this, the great city, when he did go to the Ninevites, to this evil and abominable people, when he did preach the message that God gave to them, the unthinkable for Jonah happened. The unthinkable for him happened. But what happened? Was God surprised? Was God surprised? You think about it. And if God was surprised, or not surprised, why are we surprised when God does what He says He does? God is a merciful God. God is a loving God. God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That God. Okay. Okay. Nineveh did repent. They did comply. They did hear the proclamation of the prophet of God in the person of Jonah. They did follow through. But Jonah, look at his response. So when they all turned from their wicked ways and destruction was um, avoided. Chapter 4, where we begin today, verse 1 says... But Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. And I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take my life, for it would be better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Wow! Wow! Are you upset? When someone else is saved that you think should perish? Are you upset when something good happens to somebody when you think that, wow, how are they getting away with this? Or are you just grateful that God has blessed you? Remember the parable that Jesus taught how that uh, the uh, vineyard master, you know, had... uh, had to go out and get all the different labors. And the people that he hired, you know, at, at the first, what did he promise them? One denarii or one day's wage and so forth, and I'll pay you and so forth. And then as the day went on, he needed more workers and more workers and more workers. So the workers who came to the end only worked an hour or so, and he gave them, he paid them first, and he gave them a full day's wage. And so, Wow. The people that came, that were there and that labored all day long and saw how God had blessed them, or in this this, uh, parable, how that this owner of the field had paid them a full day's wage for only an hour's work. 
They thought, hmm, if he did that for them, maybe he's going to do more for us. Well, what was his promise? His promise was a full day's wage. God can give to those eternal life who accept the Lord even at the end of their life. Even for a person like Saddam Hussein. Even for a person like Fidel Castro. Even for a person like Adolf Hitler. He did it for you. Why shouldn't he do it for them? Sin is sin is sin. And if we have missed the mark, we have totally and utterly failed to be perfect. Like our Father in Heaven is perfect. And we deserve sin and death. But if God chooses in His mercy to extend mercy and compassion to others, even though they've sinned great, what is that to us? Can't we still trust Him and believe in Him and love Him for the compassion that He showed to us? We who deserve no, no, uh, no mercy, we who have sinned, all of us, Every one of us who deserve death, remember, for the wages of sin is what? Ouch. Yeah. For us. For all of us. That's what God offers to us. But Jonah, you saw, was a man who was greatly displeased and he was angry. See, God, I knew that you were going to do that. I knew you were going to save him. I knew you were going to have compassion on him and all that. That's why I didn't want to go. And so that's why I ran the other way. Well, the same God who showed compassion on the, on the people, those uh, unbelievers that were spared when, when Jonah had boarded their ship and God was trying to get Jonah's attention, everybody there was spared when they did what? They threw over they threw over Jonah and they begged for mercy of the, the mercy of God. And God extended His mercy toward them. Was gracious, compassionate, and slow to anger with them. That same God also spared uh, Jonah a little bit later. You saw how he was swallowed up by the great fish and then he was spit up on dry land. And God answered Jonah's prayer there at the end of chapter 2 when he cries out to him. And Lord, you know... I looked to you and I began to pray to you. And so we saw that he too was spared. He too was spared. And now Jonah is upset that God has spared the great city of Nineveh. Why would you do such a thing? I knew that you really wouldn't punish them. So are we upset? By the way, as I read the scriptures... The Bible tells us that we're not to delight in evil that befalls somebody else. Very, very clear in the scriptures. We're not to delight in wrongdoing. We're not to delight when others uh, are falling. Secretly, do you ever wish, oh gosh, yeah, I'm glad they got theirs. And so many times, it may like, let's look at good sportsmanship. Are we supposed to boo the other team or say hooray to our team? You think about it. Which is better? Okay? Yeah, you hate the other bombs. You know, you, I don't want you to be a, you know, an Oakland Raider fan. Maybe some of you are. And my condolences. But, um, but the Raider Nation has a reputation to live up to. And they just like beating people to a pulp if uh, they don't agree with, uh, uh, you know, the way they, you know, what have you. And that's true of every fanatical fan. So I'm not picking on only the Raiders. Anybody can be a crazy fanatic about any one of their teams, as we saw. Right? A Giants fan at the Dodger Stadium beat nearly lifeless. And now is barely hanging on to life. But life such as it is for him, though he needs total care nearly, uh, is he's still still with us among the living so good for him wow so where do we stand with God where are we are we going to be like Jonah and think that our anger is appropriate and that it's right and that we can do it and this is only good and right and after all he's 
you know, completely vicious. That person doesn't deserve the grace of God, and uh, and so forth. And that's where Jonah was with his quest. I want to share with you uh, a, a little something. The um, there was a, a friend of mine was telling a, a story. By the way, he's a pastor in uh, Southern California as well. He had an idea and he had a vision and he was sharing that with his church and uh, it was basically the idea that God came to him about handling, just looking at your church, looking at your neighborhood and just taking taking the issue of all the people that are around your church and make that your mission field. Minister to them, take care of every one of their needs. If they have needs for clothes or food or fellowship or... or uh, or some other emotional need, or, you know, whatever the need happened to be, they needed somebody to, to watch their dog. Whatever happens to be, you take that up. And for eight blocks all the way around the church, make that. And so we shared that vision with some of the pastors in the local area, and if each one of us did that, how much better the whole city would be if each of us took that eight-block area all the way around the church and made that our mission field. And as he shared that that vision that God gave him of providing shelter and clothing and comfort to all of those around him, one of the pastors in the area took that vision and he really ran with it. And he inspired his people to move and to act upon it, and they did. And, and he, he put a manual together and he implemented it, and then he wrote a book and uh, about it. And then he was invited by a hundred churches to speak about it. And my friend who came up with the vision, said he was jealous, but the Lord convicted him. He was jealous and he was angry and there were times that he was mad at him and and when the Lord convicted him, he had to go back to that brother, man, you know, I don't know why I was so angry, why I was so jealous, the ideas that were getting out there. I wasn't the one who got invited to, to speak to these hundred churches up north. I wasn't the one who put the book together and so forth. It was you. And so we tried to kind of, you know, figure out. But wait a minute. If God shows His mercy or God shows His grace to someone else, who are we to get upset with that? But we do. It's part of our human nature. So my friend Ken was jealous and he was angry and he was mad at this other pastor, as it were, for doing good work. Why? Because he took his vision. Well, it wasn't it the vision of God. Wasn't it, in the case of Jonah, the mercy of God that saved Jonah himself? Wasn't it the mercy that God spared the people where Jonah was? Wasn't it the, mer- the same mercy that saved Jonah, the, 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 the mercy that saved the people of Nineveh? And doesn't God have the right, as the God of mercy, compassion, and so forth, to show His love, to offer His forgiveness, to give His compassion to anyone He chooses. He's God and not us. He, he's sovereign and we're not. God chooses to do as He wills and it's our will only it should be to do the will of Him who sent us. Praise the Lord. Well, I was trying to think about that. And, you know, uh, one of the things that they ask of all is, like, what about all this violence in in Israel? And, you know, when is Israel ever going to be at peace with any of its neighbors? The only time Israel is ever going to be at peace with those who hate her, it's when Arab mothers learn to love their own sons more than they hate the Israelites. It's only when these mothers that, you know, say they love Allah that they will also love their sons who are sacrificing themselves, becoming human shields and human targets and human bombs themselves just because they want to take out God's people, the Israelites. Well, as I read in the scriptures, in fact, I think I'll just turn there real quick. In Joshua 1.9, he's telling Joshua to be strong and courageous from verses 6 and following. That's the first chapter. 
And after he tells him that, in verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so I see God calling me as a pastor. I see God calling me as a pastor to be brave, to be courageous, and, and, to, and to be strong. Not mad. Maybe mad in the sense of hating evil. But not mad. Like Jonah. If God chooses to save someone else. Or if God chooses to bless another pastor and not him. So I've been called to do what God wants uh, wants us to do, and that's to be courageous enough to face whatever might be coming, not to be angry like Jonah was. And so it's incumbent upon me to lead and to lead you into the place where God wants you to be so that you too can see that God can show compassion on whomever he'll show compassion there's a fellow by the name of Greg Glory, you know, um, Harvest Christian Fellowship out there in Riverside. And Greg has been leading Harvest Crusades. I think this is 24th year, is that right? In fact, it's going on right now. I, uh, tonight will be the last night, I believe. And we've all seen those stickers for years and years and years, but you know what? He never gave up. As far as I know, this is the largest uh, Christian or ongoing Christian crusade that there's been. Ever, as far as as far as I know, uh, at least in certainly in the Southland, probably in the United States, if not in the world as well. And he never gave up on that vision because God still loves all those people. You know what? Greg could very easily just relax. He's got a big church out in Riverside. He's doing enough. He should just enjoy life enough. After all, gosh, we all know he's certainly uh, suffered a lot of personal hurt and harm and so forth. And so he knows what it's like to be afflicted. He knows what it is to be hurt. And so he could stay home and lick his own wounds and be satisfied where God has placed him. And yet he's out there. And he's ministering and he's taking a chance. And he's hoping to enlist the support of other pastors in the area to make, to make this continued ministry going. By the way, you think the Angel Stadium just uh, loans their uh, loans their stadium out? Oh, okay, you can have everything free. Use the restrooms, use the you know the water, use the lights and energy for for nothing. It's very very expensive, very very expensive. And so there's a lot of other people that are behind them and believe in that ministry and are supporting it. And what would it be like if all of us got behind and supported the leadership of this church? the leadership of Christ as he works in Hacienda Heights, the leadership of the Lord as he works in Southern California, California, and so forth, getting that. So it's our job as pastors here at First Baptist to lead people, not just to be comforted in their seats. Yeah, I went to church. It was a good message today. I learned a little bit from Jonah or whatever, but no. What does that say about what I'm doing in my life and where I'm going and, and what I'm going to amount to? So forth. I took the liberty to share with you a little bit there. You can see it in your bulletin. It's not the whole passage there, but just kind of a printed part of it. From Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18, there's a promise that was given there to Abraham how he would surely bless him in all of his seed and that they would be more numerous than the stars of the sky and more numerous than the sands of the seashore. And that in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. And that, he says to Abraham, because you obeyed me. Well, what did Abraham do? He was willing to do something that was quite uncomfortable, quite hard, not at all easy. For you and I to obey God, to get together as Christians and assemble ourselves to come and to sing and to share and to hear the word is easy. But what was Abraham called to do that God said, you obeyed me? Abraham was called to sacrifice his only son to sacrifice his son 
And he knew the promise. How God said, in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. But, and you're saying that my seed is going to be more numerous than the sands of the sea. And yet, you want me to sacrifice my only son, my only prodigy, my only heritage. The only one that's going to carry on my name. You want me to give that up, and yet you promised me all this. But God said it. And he wanted to obey. And he followed the Lord. And when he was about to take the life of his son Isaac, you know how the angel of the Lord interceded, how God spoke to him and shared with him that he was to spare his son. But God also provided another uh, sacrifice that he could offer. And so he could still pay homage to his God. But he didn't have to sacrifice his son. But that willingness, that obedience carried him to a place that we now see in the scriptures today. We see Abraham there in the Hall of Fame chapter in, uh, in Hebrews, how he is mentioned with all the other great leaders, the other great patriarchs there. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him for what? Righteousness. He followed God. He believed God. Will you today believe that God will spare people even like the Ninevites? Okay, well, they were there a long time ago. We don't really care about them. Okay, well, what about... Think of another enemy you might have. Hmm. And for each of us, it might be different. Hopefully it's not your kid. Hopefully it's not your mother. Hopefully it's not a relative or a neighbor. But it might be someone that you think is doing evil. What about those who commit the atrocity in the name of good health or in the name of a woman's choice? And they do the unspeakable and take the life of a little one that barely got a chance to show himself in the world. The same little one that God made in his own image. And yet that doctor thinks he's providing good medicine. That mom just thinks she's exercising her choice. That family just made a decision to do Something that I find completely abhorrent. So do I hate them? I need to learn to love them. Just like we all need to love those that hate us. And what do the scriptures talk about? Pray for those. That you might have hate for them. Pray for those who you despitefully or despitefully use you. Pray for them and not be angry like Jonah. Jonah was angry. You saw his hate. Jonah went out, it says in verse 5, Jonah chapter 4 verse 5. Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. So right after he yells at God, he gets mad at God and I knew that you're some kind of gracious and compassionate do-gooder that you were always going to love them and so forth. You're never going to get angry at them and that you would, you know, you wouldn't go ahead and carry it all the way through. And now, Lord, he says, hey, you know, I'm so mad I could just die. Just take my life for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord says, have you any right to be angry? But Jonah went out and he sat on the uh, place east of the city. He made himself a shelter, sat down in the shade and waited to see what was going to happen. What are you going to do, God? What are you going to do? Are you going to destroy him like you said you would? No, they repented, remember? Then the Lord God provided a vine. And he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. 
And Jonah was very happy about the vine. What did that say again? Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Wow. Look at what God has showed Jonah so far. You saw that even in his rebellion, when he ran 180 degrees opposite of what God had called him or where God had called him to go, he runs in a completely opposite direction. But God brings him back and God spares him and God spares the people in the boat where he was. And God delivers him back onto the shore and gives him another chance. Gives him another chance. So you see, all along the way, God has been with Jonah and has spared his life and spared those around him and gave him the opportunity to be uh, involved in ministry again. Gives him that opportunity. And now Jonah gets mad when he does share the word of the Lord, when he is obedient and when he does share, then God does something he doesn't want to do want to happen. And sometimes you and I want different results than what God actually provides. We're praying for something and it doesn't happen the way we want. And so we get like Jonah, angry. And Jonah was angry with God. And God asked him a question. Do you have any right to be angry? And he said, I'm not just angry. I'm so angry I could die. I wish you would just kill me and let me die. And so as he runs out and he waits to see, man, you know, waits to see and he's looking for the destruction of Nineveh that doesn't happen. He's sitting there. He's trying to comfort himself. And what does God do? God in his wrath and his anger could have poured out on Jonah just like Jonah was toward God. But God is not like us. God's ways are higher. So what did God do for Jonah? He showed him Mercy. God showed Jonah his compassion. God showed that he was a loving and kind father who cared for one of his sons that was angry. So instead of pouring out his wrath and being angry at Jonah, like Jonah was angry at him, God instead shows him this loving kindness. First of all, he led him to the place where Jonah found where it could get a little bit of shade. But then you saw that miraculous vine that grew up overnight, provided shade. Now, by the way, I know you've all seen some plants grow pretty quick. That's very quick. You know, you can see something rise up, you know, maybe four or five, six inches, maybe a foot. Something, wow, look at that. It's really springing up. But overnight, big enough to provide shelter and shade for Jonah, so much so that Jonah would remark and be glad and be happy about it. Now, if you're in the desert and there's no reprieve from the sun and there's no cool breeze, nothing to cover you, nothing to protect you, and immediately a plant comes up and grows over you and protects you, wouldn't you be happy? I think the Lord, when it says like in Psalms 1, He leads us by still waters and so forth. And where, where we can find these places of refreshing. And God gave him a nighttime of refreshing. Re, re, renewed his strength, as it were. And gave him the opportunity again to enter into ministry. How long are we supposed to uh, commiserate with ourselves and just mm, you know, oh me, oh my, look at my plight, look at my circumstance, look at my situation. Oh, you don't know, I've got a paper that's due whenever. Or you don't know, I've got this project I have to finish at work. Or you don't know how the old lady jumps at me as soon as I go home. Or you don't know how the kids nag or whatever. Or you don't, by the way, which one of us don't know anything about that? We all do. And Jonah might be saying, look at this. You wanted me to go to Nineveh, those 
those unrighteous people, those hateful people, those ruthless and vile uh, pagans. And I went to them, just like you told me. And now they've confessed, and now they're, they're, they're repenting, and now you want to show them mercy? And he's, you know, bemoaning that fact. And he's sitting there, and he's stewing in his own anger. But our righteous God and our merciful, loving, heavenly Father comes to Him and ministers to Him even when He's down and provides Him the coolness of the evening, gives Him shade, protects Him from the elements, gives Him a time to reflect, an opportunity to rest for a night time, before he gives them some more instructions to work the next day. That's God. A gracious God. A loving Heavenly Father. So then the Lord provided this vine and made it grow up over Jonah and gave him shade for, to, uh, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which shoot up the vine so that it withered. And then when the sun rose, verse 8, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die again. And he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? By the way, did, did Jonah plant the vine? No. Did Jonah make it grow? No. So then Jonah doesn't have anything to say if it withers away. And we're like that. Wow, things were coming up roses, God. How come it, you know, it all fell apart? Can't you keep it coming up roses every day? He could. But then would we grow? He could. But then would we go? You see, when we shared about him being comforted and, you know, he was provided uh, uh, some ease for his discomfort. He was very happy about the vine. Be happy about that, but don't relax on your laurels. Get out there the next day when the sun comes up and go back to work. Jonah didn't. So the Lord gave him a little prompting, as it were. He allowed this worm to eat up the vine. Chew it so that it would die. So when the sun rises, the scorching east wind came and the, the sun blazed again on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die again. It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said, do you have the right to be angry with me or with, with the vine? And he says, I do. And sometimes we think we're right. And who are we to argue with God? And he says, I do. And I'm very angry. And I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died. Overnight. Why are you so concerned about it? God provided that repose or reprieve for Jonah. Gave him that opportunity to thereby grow. To think, wow, tomorrow's another day. What can I do then? Or, if we find ourselves here today, Today is another day. What can we do for God? Are we out there worried about the things that we have no control over? The things that God chooses to do that are good? And the same things that we think might be evil toward us? We don't have control over it. God is the one who's sovereign, not us. There was a man who had two sons. And he says to the one son, go into the fields and tend them. And the one son says, no, later on, he relents. And he goes and he does what the father told him to do. And in this parable of the two sons, the second son is the one who says, oh, oh sure, Dad, sure, I'll, I'll do it. But then he never gets around to it. Jesus asked the question, which son 
obeyed the Father. The first one that said he's not going to do it, but then he ended up going out there and actually doing it. Or the second son that said, sure, Dad, but never got around to it. Which one actually did the will of the Father? Which one did the will of the Father? And which one was obedient? You saw how God blessed the obedience of Abraham. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And today we still call Abraham one of the great patriarchs. He's the father of monotheism. The same thing that we believe today. We believe in one God. He began. He came out of Ur of the Chaldees and called the people of Israel to worship one God. Which one of us? Can, uh, which one of us has that claim to fame? We don't. We don't. God gave to Abraham a great blessing and has blessed his seed continually because he obeyed God. I think there's a principle there that if we'll obey God, we'll be open for blessing. If we listen to God, we can see that He's got good in store for us. When we honor God, He's the one who's got it out for our good. And will continue to care for our welfare. Jonah was angry about what God had done. But God says, look. Verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their left hand from their right or can't tell the right hand from their left. Nineveh has 120,000 people. Now maybe you're not concerned about 120,000 people. Maybe you're just concerned about the 12 people in your neighborhood. Or maybe you're concerned about maybe the 100 people that you see on somewhat frequent basis at the market. You know, this one that time, the other one another time, so forth. People that you see in your own area where you do your coming and going. But here was a city, an evil city, an unrighteous city, but a city for whom God showed his compassion in a city for whom God had to teach his prophet Jonah to go to and to share the message of the good news with them so that they perhaps, right? We don't know what the outcome is going to be. So that they perhaps might come to that saving knowledge. You don't know when you're going and talking to your neighbor. You don't know when you share with your boss or your subordinates, or your peers, or your neighbors, or your family, if they'll accept the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You only have to go. You only have to be obedient. You're not responsible like this vine. You're not responsible for whether it grows up or whether it withers away. You're only responsible to go where God would lead you to go. And if you're obedient to Him, then the blessing of the Lord God will be upon you as it was for Abraham and as it could have been even in greater way for Jonah. But we saw with Jonah the forgiveness of God, the compassion, the long-suffering of God for him, for the shipmates that he was with, for the people of Nineveh. And, uh, by the way, to help that great fish avoid, uh, you know, some kind of digestive problem, you know, he also had forgiveness for him. Don't quote me on that. So there's bound to be some scholar that's going to say something else. But anyway. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left how many times have you seen people walking about and they don't know where they're going? Well, they have that 
scared look in their their face. Or that, you know, look of, wait a minute, they're not there, you know, or they're not all there. By the way, how many people have you seen, you know, it says like, um, you know, their elevator doesn't rise all the way to the top or they're not playing with a full deck or, you know, all those uh, other scenes that we have. Can God save them? Yeah, I'm living proof. I was telling uh, Jeremy, uh, was that Tuesday we met? Tuesday, Wednesday? <clears throat> I was telling him about a psychologist that completely thought that this kid is gone, last resort. Send him there and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. By the way, I thought the same thing about him. I thought he was an educated idiot. He had a master's degree but didn't know how to do anything, in my opinion. Of course, what did I know? I was a punk kid that just had an attitude and mouth and, and, and could run, so he couldn't catch me. Now I have to speak nicer to people because I can't run. But think about that. Where were you when God called you? God has showed us a great mercy. God has called each one of us to be a part of His family and wants us to follow after Him. And we can do that. We can be the family of God. We can be the children of God. We can do what our Father wants us to do if we'll listen to where He'll lead us. God says to, to Jonah, Should I not be concerned about the great city? And you think about your cause. What's your cause? Should I not be concerned about... And you name it. Shouldn't I be concerned about... The million and a half babies that go the way of the city garbage heap because other people don't value them as human life? Or should we worry about the 11 million who are in our country in an undocumented way, living in the shadows? Where are they? And wherever you are on the political spectrum, whether you think they should be here, they shouldn't be here, whatever, they are here. And do we care for them or do we not? If me, who doesn't even like to see a dog go hungry, wouldn't I feed one of these who is also made in God's image? Now, it's not to say that we can't work for legalization, you know, whatever we work for. But it is to say that we can care and we can try to do the right thing. Jonah had to go to a people that he didn't particularly appreciate. In fact, he hated them. But God had to show them that he loves all people. And when he says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and as many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city? You think about this city here in Hacienda Heights. You think about the greater Hacienda La Puente area. You think about over the hill in La Habra, Whittier, and what have you. You think about the Covinas and, you know, the L.A.s and the, you know, the San Bernardino Mountains or whatever. I mean, think about that. And this is just one little small area compared to the world. And we were called, and by the way, some of these kids are getting around. One just went to, to Italy for uh, a mission. We are called to share wherever we are and wherever God sends us to go to that place and to tell them about the good news of our Heavenly Father. If God has shown us a great mercy, what should we do for others? As I read the scriptures, it's very quick, it's very easy. The next book over, by the way, is the book of Micah. And there in Micah is one of the great callings of God. He has shown you, O oh man, what, you know, what the Lord wants you to do. And what does he want you to do? To do, uh, you know what, I think I'll just read it here. He showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. 
What if we did those things, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God? Do you think that would put us in a good position to love and to care for other people? We just don't think that we're all that. We actually care for other people. We're humble before the Lord. We love His mercy and we want to extend that mercy to others. That scriptural principle is true. If you've been loved, then love others. If you've been shown mercy, then be merciful. If God is being compassionate upon you, then show your compassion to others. Wow. I think sometimes the greater that God has bestowed upon us, whether it's resources or His compassion, some of these forgiveness, you think about some of those things. And what should we show to others? What can we show? We can do those things that God requires of us. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly before our God. Join me in a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us the way that you have. For caring about Jonah, no doubt. You love him. You love the uh, children of Israel. You love and believe in and had faith in Abraham and his offspring. Lord, we thank you that we are now the true children of Israel. We've been grafted into the vine because we love you and the truth that you stand for. We believe in you and the salvation that you offer to everybody. We know of your compassion. We've heard of your compassion toward Nineveh, but we've seen the compassion that you showed even to us. Before we knew and followed after you, before we were called to the house of God, we know where we stood. We were opposite you. We did whatever we wanted rather than what you wanted. You forgave and showed compassion to us. Lord, help us to do that for others as well. In the name of Jesus, do we offer this prayer. Because you gave us your son, we will share him with others. In your name, amen.